right. Thank you, worship team. You guys did a wonderful job. Um, if you didn't, on the way in, if you didn't get one of these candles, they're in the bin back there. Might take time. Or Pastor Scott, if you're going back, if you don't have one, raise your hand and maybe he could bring it to you. I think we have time for that. Okay, looks like we're good. All right. Merry Christmas, everybody. What a wonderful time to come together and celebrate the birth of our Savior. Um, I called this series The Truth About Christmas. Not to be, well, I wanted it to be a little bit provocative, maybe make you, make you think, but not exactly clickbait like a, like a tabloid, like, what's he going to tell us that we don't already know? I'm probably not going to tell you anything you don't already know, but... My goal was to make us all be intentional. Think about what we're doing. Think about why we're doing it. Think about the significance of what it means. And I think the truth is, at its core, Christmas is not about receiving gifts. Although we will all probably receive gifts tonight or tomorrow, depending on your family traditions, Um, And if we don't receive any gifts, like anybody here expect like an orange or a piece of fruit in your, you know, that'll be your entire gift? Probably not in this day and age. So there's nothing wrong with, with receiving gifts, but it's about giving gifts. Specifically, it's about giving away what we have already received. We have all... Most of us, I'm assuming, drove here in a car. Most of us came here from a place that's warm inside and has a roof. Most of us will have some sort of a dinner. We have abundance in our lives. And that's not the case with everybody worldwide. But we have that to be thankful that we have that. And we're blessed with those things so that we can be a blessing to others. We're not supposed to just hold on with two hands the tightest death grip we can get on the things that we are given. We are supposed to give away what we have been given. And I'm not just talking about material things. I'm talking about the spiritual blessings that we have received. We have received so much. And if you're not sure, you're like, what does that look like? I'm not sure I've received a spiritual blessing. Anybody here saying that? Probably not. You guys are all smart. But let me talk a little bit about what the Bible says about the gifts we've been given. And you immediately think of, of the spiritual gifts that Paul talks about. But there's so much more than that. Let me give you a few examples. Romans 8.1. Romans 8.1. Therefore, there is now no condemnation at all for those who are in Christ Jesus. Anybody here feel condemned from time to time? Whether from the outside or from a little voice inside. That sounds an awful lot like yours. Saying you'll never measure up. You'll never be successful enough. You're not smart enough. You're not whatever. Fill in the blank. Freedom from that in Christ. Promises of freedom from the law of sin. Romans 8, 2, the very next verse. 
For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and of death. That's freedom. That is something to be thankful for. Promises of a new identity. Anybody ever wish that you could just wake up one day and be someone else? Someone that didn't have your background and your track record of mistakes and all the things that we went through? And just start over. We have that. That is a gift. 2 Corinthians 5.17 Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, this person is a new creation. The old things passed away. Behold, the new things have come. If you're holding on to those old things that are holding you back, saying, I wish I could start over and be someone else, accept this gift. Accept this gift from Christ because you are a new creation. How about promises of peace in our hearts? Anybody need more peace in your heart? Yeah, I do. And that's one of the hardest ones for me to grasp. Philippians 4, 7, and the peace of God which surpasses all comprehension will guard your hearts in mind in Christ Jesus. The peace of God will guard your hearts and minds. So if you are not feeling at peace, it's because you're not believing that promise. Promises of eternal life. Anybody heard of this one? It's kind of obscure. John 3, 16. Anyone heard that one? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Promises of adoption into his family. Ephesians 1.5, he predestined us to adoption as sons and daughters through Jesus Christ to himself according to the good pleasure of his will. Promises of victory over darkness and over our enemies. 1 Corinthians 15, 57, thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. How about promises of his spirit inside you, given to you? 1 Corinthians 12, 7, but to each one is given the manifestation of the spirit for the common good. Promises of the ability to love supernaturally. Anybody struggle with that? I do. I struggle with it until I sit and realize I've been given that. I've been given that ability. So if I'm struggling to love supernaturally, it's by my choice. And I don't like hearing that. 1 John 4, 7, Beloved, let's love one another. For love is from God, and everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. How about this promise, to be united with other believers? Anybody struggle with being alone, feeling like you're alone? Feeling like the burdens of the world are on your shoulders and it's just too much and there's nobody around to help you? Romans 12.5 says, So we who are many are one body in Christ and individually parts of one another. We all share a common body in Christ, whether it's in this building, in this room, or worldwide with believers. We are never alone, and we are never left alone to deal with things on our own. Although the enemy wants you to, wants you to say, hey, just suck it up and deal with it on your own. You should be able to. That's not what the body of Christ says. How about this one? Promises of every good and perfect gift. Talk about gifts on Christmas. How appropriate, right? James 1.17 
Every good thing given and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. Is that enough for you? If not, how about this? You guys give up or you're thirsty for more? That's in honor of Pastor Gabe and one of her... If you need more than that, if that's not enough reasons to rejoice in the gifts that you've been given, I hope you have time because there's about 7,500 more of them. You got time for me to go through them all? 7,500 promises from God to mankind. And Christ brought all of these into the world when he came. All of them. But it's up to us to help distribute them. Last service, I said, it's like, the, it's like we're Amazon delivery drivers. There's a warehouse full of God's promises, full of his blessing. But it's up to us to distribute them to the people we see. That's how we are the light to this world. So every year in December... We observe Advent. A lot of the world just, it's Christmas Eve, it's Christmas Day, and that's it. Advent, though, is a time traditionally of, of celebrating Christ throughout the entire month. And we've started doing that here at Discover because it's a celebration of God's faithfulness to fulfill his promises through Jesus. And it all began in the most unkingly of places. It began in a small, insignificant manger in a small, insignificant village of Bethlehem to a relatively insignificant father and mother who were chosen by God. And on Christmas Day, we celebrate what's known as the first advent, which is the first coming of Christ. And we wait for the second coming. Isaiah told us that his name would be Emmanuel. I love that. I love that name. I love it even more when we know what it means. Isaiah 7.14, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and she will name him Emmanuel. Emmanuel literally means God with us. One of the more well-known scriptures, I've already shared it, was, was obscure, but now you all know it because I just taught it to you. John 3.16. <laughs> For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. It's often thought, if we bother to really think about the significance of, of the timing of it, but it's thought that when God gave his son, they're talking about on the cross because that's when the actual death of Christ happened, right? The death of his body happened on the cross, but really the gift was actually given at the birth of Christ. And that's significant for us to think about because a sinless life that Jesus lived on this earth, from the moment he was born, it was destined to end in the only way that it could. 
to accomplish the things that it needed to accomplish. So it happened the only way that it could have happened to accomplish what it had to. Romans 5.8 says, But God demonstrates his own love towards us, that in while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. See, God gave his son into this world knowing that we were sinful people, knowing that we were flawed, and knowing that many, if not most at the time, would reject his son, would reject that gift. But he did it anyway. And God spent thousands of years trying to get through to people. Thousands of years trying to get these wayward and stubborn and sinful people to understand what he was trying to get through. He used prophets. He used angels to try and get his message through. So that's what we celebrate today when we light the fourth candle. The fourth candle of Advent is known as the angel's candle. Does anybody know why? You were here first service, so that's cheating. You know. But he's not wrong. But he's not wrong. Angels actually appeared in the Christmas story before Christ did. Unless you count the foreshadowing and foretelling that happened through the centuries. An angel is literally a messenger of God. That's, That's what angel means. That's what they're meant to be. They're meant to be messengers. And at the time of the birth of Christ, it had been about 400 years of silence from angels and from the prophets. Remember, the angels and the prophets were who God used to relay his divine message to mankind. But it had been a long drought of revelation. And people were required then to look back at Scripture, look at the promises of God in Scripture, what we would call the Old Testament. At the time, it's all they had. And they were forced to look back at that and say, God is good and is full of promises. And we know that he's going to send us a Savior. We know that and we trust in that. But now, now that it was time, it was God's appointed time to send his son Jesus into the world, God said, we need to prepare hearts and minds. We need to wake them up. We need to get them prepared to encourage his people to receive Christ. And so the Gospel of Luke describes actually how the angel Gabriel appeared to a man named Zacharias, informing him that he and his wife would soon have a son. I always think about that, that Scripture tells us they were old, beyond the time when they thought they could, and yet they were still praying for a son. They never gave up on praying. And so here's how the Lord answered that prayer. Luke 1, 5 through 19, I'll read it for you. You can follow along if you like. Luke 1, 5 through 19. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. 
They were both righteous in the sight of God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and requirements of the Lord. And yet they had no child because Elizabeth was infertile, and they were both advanced in years. Now it happened that while he was performing his priestly service before God in the appointed order of his division, according to the custom of the priestly office, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were in prayer outside at the hour of the incense offering. Now an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing to the right of the altar of incense. Zechariah was troubled when he saw the angel, and fear gripped him. But the angel said to him, Don't be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall name him John. You will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice over his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord, and he will drink no wine or liquor, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit while still in his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the sons of Israel back to the Lord their God. And it is he who will go as a forerunner before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of fathers back to their children and the disobedient to the attitude of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Zechariah said to the angel, How will I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in her years. The angel answered and said to him, I am Gabriel, who stands in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. Remember, it had been 400 years since any angel or prophet had spoken. There was no precedent in Zechariah's life for this. Zechariah's son grew up to be John the Baptist, who preached that the Messiah was coming and prepared hearts, and eventually even baptized Jesus in the Jordan River. Later on, in Luke's gospel, the same angel appears to Mary now. This is Luke 1, 26 to 33. Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the descendants of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And coming in, he said to her, Greetings, favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was very perplexed at this statement and was pondering what kind of greeting this was. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and give birth to a son, and you shall name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And his kingdom will have no end. You notice in both of those stories, the reaction of Mary and of Zechariah was one of like, how can that be? Of unbelief. They had been praying for those things, those very things. And then when the angel says, this is going to happen, your prayers will be answered, their first reaction was astonishment, unbelief. We heard heard Pastor Tom read the the passage from Luke 2 about about the angel revealing the birth of the Lord to the shepherds. But one of the very next verses, the angel's, sing out at the birth of Jesus. They sing out, 
Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. The multitude of angels singing that over and over again with this blinding light in front of the shepherds. You ever think about what that term, on whom his favor rests, means? In our culture, in our society, we look at it as, ah, there's the catch. Peace on earth. What if his favor doesn't rest on me? We're always taught to look for that. If it's too good to be true, or if it sounds too good to be true, it must be. A lot of people look at that. (coughs) Excuse me. The word favor, though, translates literally as good pleasure, satisfaction, happiness, or delight. So reading that again, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth, peace to those in whom he delights. Now we hear this from Jeremiah, a prophet, hundreds of years before. Jeremiah 9, 23-24 says, This is what the Lord says, Let no wise man boast of his wisdom, nor let the mighty man boast of his might, nor a rich man boast of his riches. But let the one who boasts boast of this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who exercises mercy, justice, and righteousness on the earth. For I delight in these things, declares the Lord. That word delight there is the same translation as the one on whom his favor rests that the angels were singing. Jesus came to earth in the flesh to be Emmanuel, God with us. And it's God's great delight that you would accept him, believe in him, and know him. He doesn't just want you to know the name. He wants you to have a relationship with him and know Jesus. How many here have all their Christmas shopping done? How many still need to do some more, like on the way home, okay? Like 7-Eleven is still open, you know? I had a friend years ago when the only thing open Christmas Eve was the airport. It's back when it was Stapleton Airport. He would drive out to Stapleton Airport on Christmas Eve every night and get whatever the gift shop had. You'd get a spoon or a shot glass. or <laughs> We've all put so much thought and heart and attention into giving gifts to those that we love around us. But what if Christmas morning, Christmas Eve tonight, whenever you open your presents, what if you proudly showed those you love, said, there's a present that I got for you. I can't wait for you to open it. And what if their reaction was, that's really pretty wrapping paper. I'm just going to leave it and not, I'm not going to open it. I'll, I'll, I'll save it for later. Maybe someday I'll unwrap it. How much would your heart ache going, I prepared that for you. I, I poured out my heart for you. I wanted that for you and you don't even want to open it. That's how our father in heaven feels about those who know of Jesus, but refuse to accept the gift. And I think in large part it's because because we, in many cases, have made it seem like there's got to be strings attached. Like there's so much that goes with it, there's not. On Christmas Day, we literally celebrate the life of Christ and the light of Christ coming into this world.
this dark world. And make no mistake, this world, as dark as it is today, has been this dark for a long time. Since the beginning, this world has been dark. And Christ comes to bring that light into a dark world. So I want to invite the worship team to start getting ready. I'm going to light the center candle. The center candle... It's in my pocket. Represents... Jesus, the light of Christ coming into this dark world. John eight twelve. then Jesus again spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. The one who follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Have any of you been following the news in Israel, specifically from Bethlehem the last few days? With all that's going on in Israel, they, whoever they is, has decided that it wouldn't be appropriate to celebrate Christmas in Bethlehem. Bethlehem is in a contested area. So they're not going to be lighting any candles. They're not going to be putting up any lights. Not going to be putting up any Christmas trees. Not going to be having any special Christmas mass. No festivities around Christ at all, because they feel it wouldn't be appropriate with the level of darkness that's going on in the area. I feel that it's just the opposite. Matthew 5.16, your light must shine before people in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. So we don't glorify our Father in heaven by just cursing and hiding from the darkness. We glorify our Father in heaven by bringing the light wherever we are, the light of Christ in us. And so whenever we see Christmas lights, twinkling lights, candles, let it remind us that Jesus is the light of the world. And he came to make the darkness tremble. And he does that through us. So if you have your candle, let's light and lift our candles as we sing together.